Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 163 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to Linda, Paige's mom. Paige was her middle child and was really a joy in life. She was just really entering her adult years, finishing up college, when she was struck with a normal viral illness. But suddenly that normal viral illness became something quite serious, something that few physicians have even heard of. In fact, I may even stumble over the words here myself. The diagnosis is hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Today, Linda really wants to talk about her daughter Paige and what a wonderful girl she was, but also to bring a little more awareness to HLH so that the general community and even physicians can try to learn a little bit more about how to look for this disease. Remember, if you would like to share your story on the podcast, please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. I'm also trying to grow the podcast as much as I can and reach as many bereaved parents as I can. And one way that you can help out by doing that is by going to your podcast player, such as Apple, and leaving a review. If you can leave a written review and hopefully a five-star rating, that really helps people to be able to find me. So I'm just under 100 uh, now reviews on Apple, and I would love to get that over 100. So please just take a minute to go on there and leave a written review. I'd really, really appreciate it. But for now, why don't you sit back and listen to Linda. Paige's mom. Thank you so much, Linda, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much, Marcy. It's really an honor to be here. I've been listening to you every morning on my walks, and you, your podcast has been so helpful and I really was attracted to it as you are a pediatrician um, for what has happened to, to our love, beloved daughter. So yeah. it's an honor to be here and to talk about my page. And for any of you watching the video version, or if you're not watching the video version, you might want to at least get on social media and look at some video <laughs> clips because Linda has a fantastic button on that I just want to describe to you that are listening. So it says in loving memory and it says Paige and it's got a beautiful picture of your daughter Paige on it. You want to talk a tiny bit about the button? Sure. So last year for her first, my daughter passed August 30th, 2020. And last year, her best friend did not want to celebrate her birthday. She wanted to do fundraiser in her name to raise money and awareness for HLH, which is what my daughter was diagnosed with. Mm -hmm. And we raised about $25,000. Wow. Yes. And it all went to research for this rare disease. And she had these buttons made smaller ones, but my family got the big ones. Oh, so yes. You need the Whenever I do anything in her honor, I always wear my button. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, why don't you start out really by talking to us about Paige and just about her personality, just so we can get to know her a little bit. Absolutely, Marcy. So Paige is a middle child. She had two brothers. Her oldest brother, Tyler, is 29, and her youngest brother, Brent, is now 21. Paige was you know, the best baby. My Tyler was extremely colic. 
So a lot of sleepless nights. So when Paige came around and, you know, was we would call her a little mouser girl because she was always quiet and would just squeak or whatever uh, right out of the gate. And I was like, wow, this is what it's like to have an easy baby because she was wonderfully easy. Mm-hmm. She loved school. She loved clothes right out of the gate. She was a little girl that loved to dress up. She started cheerleading at a young age. She was just the sparkle in our lives. And she wore sparkle and glitter every minute that she could. She loved school, loved her teachers, loved her classmates. When she got into high school, she got very involved into cheerleading. Mm -hmm. She even did the high school musicals. And she also got involved in the high school bowling team. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, was just, yeah, she started bowling younger, like just on a Saturday league. And she uh, developed into bowling for school. And she actually went on to bowl for college. Really? And cheer, yes, and cheerlead for college. So she was quite the bowler and the cheerleader. She was studying uh, to become a teacher and she mm-hmm. worked in a daycare with children. And she just loved kids and she was a really a good girl. The only thing that we were nervous with her about was driving Uh and she was hearing impaired. So we were very scared for her to drive. She had full hearing in one ear, not full hearing in the other. So we waited until she was in her 20, 20 before we let her take driving lessons, which we made her do them twice because we just felt she... She was real tiny. She's only was only four foot ten. And so we were just nervous and and made her go through the classes twice. She got her license and she was starting to have freedom with driving when she became ill. So at age 22, she was, you know, going, going, going all the time as every young adult. And she got ill with mono. Mm-hmm. which not a big deal. Everybody, you know, most people gets mono and recovers yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. When she started getting sick, I had called her doctor who thought that it might've been hoof, foot and mouth. Hand, hand, foot and mouth disease. Yeah. Thank mouth you. Disease is what it's called. Um, mm-hmm. And it was COVID because we were in 2020 and this started yeah. in May of 2020. So they didn't really want to see her. And they were like, you know, just keep an eye on her for a few days. Let us know. She probably picked it up at the daycare. Okay. Well, she got worse, a really bad sore throat. And I noticed she was starting to turn a little jaundice yellow. So the doctor said, bring her in. So I did. And they, and when they got her into the um, doctor's office, she really was yellow. You know, the lighting really showed it more than at the house. Mm -hmm. So she was very concerned and told me to take her to the emergency room. Okay. So I took her down. And I have a girlfriend that's been a nurse uh, in our hospital here in Buffalo, New York for over 30 years. She came with me, got me through with COVID and everything. And they ran some tests on her and they said that her mono was severe, um, but that she could go home and to keep her on Tylenol, hydrate her, get a hold of her work. She's going to be out for a few months because she was pretty severe with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So we brought her home and within the next six days, it got so bad that the day I brought her back, I didn't even call the doctor. I was like, that's it. Cause I was on the phone with her doctor, you know, throughout she couldn't walk. She was like crawling to the bathroom. So we carried her in the car. We took her back and everybody started going crazy around me saying that she would need a liver transplant. And they don't do them in Buffalo. So I would have to take her to Rochester, which is an hour away from me. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how did we get to this point? Well, her mono progressed. So they called down the ICU doctor at our local hospital. And he was like, I think she has HLH and she needs to go to our cancer hospital, which is one of the best in the country. I don't know if you've heard of it, Roswell Hospital. And it's in Buffalo, New York. And they wanted her there. So we get her there and they put her in ICU right away. COVID tested all that. And, you know, then you have all these doctors coming in and 
the ICU doctors didn't know what HLH was, nor did the emergency room doctors. The only one that knew of it was the ICU doctor. So when I got her to Roswell, the ICU doctors weren't sure. They brought in the oncologists and they knew right away what it was. Now, Mm -hmm. HLH can stem from many different things. The flu, a rash, um, Epstein-Barr, which is mono, which is what she had. She was in ICU for 55 days and lost her battle to uh, HLH on August 30th, 2020. And so since that time, I've really tried to spread the word because it just baffles me that we live in America, we're in the 20th century, and most medical people don't even know what what it is. That has to change. I know three, I know two other families in Buffalo that reached out to me after she passed and their daughters also died from HLH. So it's out there. It's more prevalent in young children, but Mm -hmm. it can happen. I've read where it happens to adults. You could be 50, 60, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is more common in children though, for sure. Yes, it is. Just to to kind of say what that is. So it's hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. So that would be why it's just shortened to HLH because... Well, I mean, all those things actually mean something, all those words. So you can kind of figure out what it actually is if you take each of those things. So hemo is is um, the blood, of course, and phagocytic means they're kind of almost eating at it. And then lympho is a type of white blood cell. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, histiocytosis are histiocytes. So Anyway, you kind of can figure out what it is by that long, long name, unlike some other diseases that are just named after the person who discovered them. But it's still, it's a mouthful to even say. It is. And Mm -hmm. I thank you for saying it because I always mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) I always mess it up. So, yeah. So that's basically how they explained it to my husband and I, you know, that it was attacking her organs and it was... You know, there were times because we had the oncologists, the ICU doctors, and then the infectious disease, because she was hooked up to so many things, her HLH counts would come down, but then what would spike is a blood infection from all Mm -hmm. the tubes. So if the HLH was coming down, they'd be like, great news, but but, she has this going on now. So it was like one fire would go out, another fire would start. And that's what happened throughout those couple months that we were there. Yeah. And and your lymphocytes are supposed to fight infections. They're supposed to fight viral infections, honestly. That's a type of white blood cell. And your um, macrophages, too, are are involved in fighting infections normally. But in this disease, both of those types of cells are instead attacking the body. So they were attacking her and, you know, in particular, kind of her liver, really. And just creating really a kind of a storm inside of her. So it's... It's hard to figure With, out those things because you don't, it's it's just very, very tricky. I can understand why there's not a lot of, you know, great treatment options and things like that with a disease right. this complicated when you're actually kind of, your own body is attacking itself. Correct. So it's That is diff- correct, Marcy. Mm-hmm. It is. And they talked to me about, you know, if she got through this, Uh, where they could control it, she would be a candidate for a bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're aware to do that. You're like the boy in the plastic bubble, if you will, for like a year. And so they were gearing me up for all that. And I thought, oh my God, my daughter who is like so vibrant and go, go, go. Like I was really, really concerned about that. If we were going to get to that point, because I was afraid she'd get depressed or, you know, who knows? So, you know, I believe that, you know, God called her home because they knew she wouldn't be able to, to handle such a intense step, if you will. And even then, when you get that bone marrow transplant, they did tell me because she was young, 22, 21, 22, she passed, uh, she had her 23rd birthday in ICU. Mm-hmm. that it could come back at late 20s, early 30s. It wouldn't necessarily 
be completely written from her. So again, you know, you think about, oh my goodness, what she would go through all this again. Like I can't even imagine. So there are drugs out there. Dana Farber hospital in Boston, Massachusetts Mm -hmm. is for the adults that do the research uh, adult HLH. And then Mm -hmm. Cincinnati Children's Hospital is the main hub for the children. So Mm -hmm. Roswell was communicating with both. I would say with her age. Mm Yeah, with her age, she was right on the cusp. She's like crossover, Um, really, for real. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were communicating. There was a new cancer drug on the market and they did try it on her. But again, if you don't catch it right away, chances are it's not going to work. And that's pretty much what happened to her, you know, and then it it attacked her kidneys and she was put on dialysis and just one thing after another, it was just a storm that we couldn't calm the waters no matter what they did. I can't say enough, but 55 days. Wow. 55 days. Cause she was so healthy yeah, and so in shape. My daughter was a Zumba instructor Um, she was not a couch potato. She ate healthy. She exercised. And they said that her strength really is what caused the longevity, if you will, of being in the ICU. So, Mm -hmm. and I can't say enough about that hospital. We actually, there's a beautiful garden and we have a stone, a sidewalk stone in her name and a huge planter next to a dog. My daughter loved her her animals and her dog and a beautiful, huge planter of flowers. I, every angel birthday now and angel versary, I bring food down to the ICU and just, you know, hug them and just tell them how thankful I am, you know, that I had such a great team that really, really did everything that they could to, to try to help her. So I'm glad you feel good about that. I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband, not so much, you know, he, uh, he has more anger that things couldn't have been found sooner, you know, Um, but he's, he's trying to get there. He's trying to get to where it's hard to let go of that anger. I think, you know, I feel like my husband and I were quite different on our anger. My, my husband never was angry ever. Yeah. I really wasn't either Marcy. Yeah, I did. I was. Yeah. And my husband, definitely. I was more guilt. Like, why didn't I bring her back? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I catch that? How did I not know this? And I actually talked to my priest about it Mm -hmm. during preparing for her service because I was just so ridden with guilt. Yeah that I wasn't a good mom and I didn't do enough to save her. And he said, Linda, you're missing the whole point. Your daughter was sent home for six days. That is a gift from God. He let her be with her family for six days. And it, it took my breath away because I didn't think of it like that, you know? So I just thought, Oh my gosh, I, I think, yes, this is the way I have to see this. Yeah. Or I'm, or I'm going to never get better mm-hmm. because the guilt was so bad in the beginning. Yeah. So, and, and it is bad. I mean, it's, it's the biggest, one of the biggest things I think is having that guilt. And I think not all moms end up having a degree of that guilt that they kind of suffer with, because what do you feel like your primary job is as a parent? It's to keep yeah. your kids safe. That's right. It's to keep your kids safe and to make sure they grow up. And so that's what you feel like is your role. So when that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, it you just end up putting it on yourself that it was some sort of failure on your part, even when it's completely unrealistic, right? I mean, it's I not that wasn't a rational thought at all. You were 100% sent home. Mono takes forever to get better. I mean, that's a true thing. It, I mean, even a regular course of mono on a on a kid that age is the older you are the worse the course tends to be so you see a five and six year old with mono they kind of zip through it it's not a big deal but you get to high school it's a little worse you get college age it's a little worse I mean they just Mm -hmm. kind of it's one of those things that the older you are the tougher it is so it's why I don't 
I don't think you have any reason to think you should have done anything differently. Right. I know it's, it's hard to hear. I know her doctor said the same thing to me, but it's just, you know, I think about when she first got sick, like, where was she? What caused her to get sick? You know, should I have not let her have gone to work that day? Should I have not let her do, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's just all of that the beginning stage where I'm like, yeah, she was kind of sleeping a little bit more than usual, but really nothing that would make me think this is what was going to happen. So, right. But I think we all do that too a little bit. I mean, I think back, my thing was, why did I let him go back upstairs to change his clothes after soccer practice before going to the baseball game? If he had come in the house and I wouldn't have let him go upstairs first, we would have been three minutes further down the road and this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Although honestly, I mean, someone else would have been killed. I, I don't think there's any question of that. Right. I mean, if it wouldn't have been our car that was hit, it would have been somebody else's, but, but still those thoughts go through your head. Just why didn't I, why didn't I, why didn't I? Right. Yes. I'm better now because I do a lot of self care. Good. Um, I do. I do a lot. And my counselor, my grief counselor is phenomenal. I think another God wink there, Marcy, I connected with a woman that's been doing it for 30 years and just sees things that you can't see because you're so into in your grief, you know, and helps pull it out so that you understand and and realize things that are going on. So does she primarily work with grieving people then? Is that what you mean? She does. Yes. Uh Mm -hmm. She's not a grieving mom. So at first I was like, "Mm, I don't know how much a grief counselor can give me that doesn't understand by losing a child, but it, it, I gave it a shot, pushed myself to do it. And I'm so thankful that I did because she is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I have a phenomenal counselor too, and she's not a grieving mom either, but that's all she does is work with grieving moms. Right. Right. Grieving families. I think she does. But you don't have to have actually that, right. You don't have to have that. Yeah. And sometimes for some, for some people, I've spoken to lots of counselors, you know, and some of them see grieving moms and some of them don't because some of them feel like it hits a little too close to home. Yeah. They just can't do it. Yeah. But I, I would like to give a plug here to say all you grieving parents don't turn your back on a grief counselor that has not lost a child because they are professionals and they will work with you and bring light into your life again, for sure, for sure. I've also talked to a lot of people that have done extra education and things like that, because I think that's important, because I do think in the original, the original training, they're probably not Mm -hmm. have a lot on grief, to be honest, but there are a lot Mm -hmm. of extra trainings that you can do to kind of learn more to be able to help people in a better way. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Marcy. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to talk about if you're okay with that. I found a angel mom community through Facebook. And uh-huh. uh, her, her name is Lisa Bohm. And she yeah. wrote a book. The name of the book, I had it here, where'd I put it? She wrote a book about her grief. And it's phenomenal. And it's such a good reading tool, because she the way she writes it out is like you're carrying a suitcase uh-huh. and you're dragging that suitcase with you. And how do you, at the end of the story, basically you open up the suitcase full of love, but it's working yeah. to get to that point. So it's called journey to healing uh-huh. by Lisa Bohm. And she lives up in Canada and she has an angel mom VIP group. And uh, we do a Zoom call every Wednesday night. And she has all different things for us. She has one of the angel moms is a yoga instructor. So she does uh, grief yoga. We do breakout sessions and we just talk to each other. And it's such a close knit group Mm -hmm. that she's actually having her first retreat it's too far for me. I said I'm in Buffalo. It's way up in Saskatchewan. I want to say Canada and um, eight 
eight angel moms are going and it's horseback riding and it's, she went to it and now she's bringing eight moms with her. So that has been extremely helpful to have moms, new moms to be able to help. Yeah. Or, you know, mothers that have been in this journey longer and kind of can help us through whatever we're going through. I I think it's amazing what that community can do for you, right? Absolutely. Unbelievable. Because I really felt like when I started out, being in my Starlight Support Group was such a gift to get to know those women. And we were a very a really varied group. And in, I shouldn't say just women because it was parents. So I went with Eric mm-hmm. and there were lots of couples there, but there were also some moms that were there by themselves. Um, and it was so amazing. So only four of us in the group lost kids, meaning people under 18 years of age or just younger people. The rest of them were... They lost their kids when they were in their 30s and 40s and they were married and had their own kids. And Mm -hmm. so it was quite different. And I originally Mm -hmm. I thought going in, I'm not I don't know. Right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And even the other three who lost kids, they all lost kids who had had long term illness that basically they had been born with and been in the medical system for a long time. And I had a pretty normal kid who died in a car accident. So I felt right. very, very different from the rest of the group. But it turns out it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter. Right. I, you know, baby die of heart disease, a four, mom of a 47-year-old or something who died of a, an infection of some sort. I mean, uh, cancer and older people. It, yeah. Like it was the gamut and it did not matter. Because we yeah. all had that same loss. We all had out of order loss, right? Losing it, losing our child before us. Like you're supposed to mm-hmm. lose your parents. You understand that. But when you lose your child, no matter what the age, it's just wrong. It just it is. is wrong. And so I was, I, I appreciated that so much that when, after I got the kind of the podcast going for a while, that's when I asked about doing something virtually through Starlight Ministries with the same program because I thought I've spoken to so many moms who don't Mm -hmm. have that. They don't have that great community. And it's amazing that virtually you can get the same thing, but you Mm -hmm. can. You really can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do. I, I went to a grief group that was recommended to me and I found it to be very dark. Okay. And there was a mom who lost two children and basically told us that she sits in the dark all day, no TV, no light, no nothing, and just sits. And I, at that moment, I said to myself, I have two sons. I have a husband. I'm in my fifties. I'm not going to get to that point. I have to find a way out of the dark. And I did that through self-care, through meditation, through yoga, through running, whatever I could do to help get me up and going is what turned the corner for me. This angel mom community, it it is just for moms, right? but we are so close and it is so helpful. I too was hesitant because I didn't have a great experience with a local chapter here in Buffalo. So I read the book first. And mm-hmm. after I read the book, I was like, wow, this, this is amazing. So then I joined the group and I've been with it ever since. So, and you do need us to have a sense of hope with it. You yes. really do. I think just getting together as a group and commiserating about your loss, it en- yes. can end up being not that helpful. Right. 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 And that's why with what we do, we have a little program that Starlight provides and we have questions and there's always kind of a theme like this six week theme is on support. And it's it's like what you're talking about, how you get support from other people and how you get support from activities, places, things Mm -hmm. like that. So that's a little bit what you were talking about with what's kind of filling you up is that self-care. Yeah. Right. And how, how to get through certain situations, like when you're out or with friends or, 
you know, you're having a bad day, what can you do to turn that around? You know, what and and honestly, the more self care I do, mm-hmm. the more God winks I get, the more signs I see from my daughter. It's amazing the amount of I know my daughter's with me every day. I see orbs uh, through pictures. I find feathers on my walk or butterflies or a red cardinal will sit on my windowsill on her angel verse three. Just, you know, things that just, you know, that it's just, they're with you, you know, and you just have to look a little bit and open your mind to it for sure. And like you, Marcy, I've lost a lot in my life. My parents, my uh, cousin died of breast cancer in her forties and my sister early fifties died of ovarian cancer So, you know, I thought losing my sister who was younger than me was the absolute worst. And then a year later, this happened to my daughter. So nothing prepares you in life for Isn't that true? It just doesn't. It is. Because you think you probably would be more prepared, right? Yeah. No, I know it. No. I remember thinking that when Andy died, obviously it was soul crushing, but I did. There was a part of me that thought, you know what? You've done this before. Mm-hmm. you've done this before and then I and I thought Eric hasn't done this before my husband like he hasn't done this before I'm gonna have to try to be more there for him because I've done this before and then it turns out I haven't done this before, before I haven't because right? it, it's not the same as losing your mom even it's... even though I was 21 years old I was young she was 42 I mean that was way younger than she should have died right and but that's mm-hmm. not at all the same and so I didn't really have this thing to fall back on that I thought maybe I would Mm -hmm. I thought it would give me a little bit of a head start in some way but I don't think it did no it no and I could say it didn't for me either and like I said I lost my sister a year before to ovarian cancer and I thought that was the absolute worst and no no, losing a child. It's just a whole different level, you know, of grief. It really is. And uh, you think you can master it and you just can. And you have to, you have to work through all the ups and downs and the roller coaster because it never stops. I feel like I never get off the roller coaster. I have good days. Sure. Yeah. But when it's a bad day, mm, that roller coaster is crashing down, you know, uh, and it's, yeah. it's tough. It's, it's a never ending daily self-care I'm not going to say struggle I'm going to say self-care yeah I love that roller your, coaster know? example because yeah that's a great Isn't example it? because like I feel like around. well yeah. right because you're whipped around it's it's almost like you're on a roller coaster and your eyes are shut because you can't yes. really see where you're going because yeah, there fine. are moments on a roller coaster where you're like okay we're going we're fine this is yep, okay we're and then yep. right and we're we're on the track and we're going but especially if you're in a roller coaster with your eyes shut and suddenly you're like dropping that's terrifying I mean for me it is with mm-hmm. my eyes open but I, I do think about it as more like a roller coaster with your eyes shut that you can't see yeah. when the next bend is coming when the next dip is coming when the next terrifying moment mm-hmm. is coming right right Absolutely. Absolutely. Just as you start to feel a little bit comfortable, like, okay. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I'm only two years in and, uh, you know, it's even funny at two years, you know, some, some friends are like, well, it's been, you know, two years. How do you feel? And, you know, basically I say, I feel like it's this week one. I, it doesn't change it. It doesn't matter how long it never goes away. Yeah, I remember talking to a mom a while back now, Darla, I think her name was, but she had the neighbor that came to her front step after her son died and said, I lost my son too. And she said, when? And she said, her response was 30 years ago, last month, yesterday, an hour ago. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was perfect. Because it, it had been 30 years, but there are moments in time when it feels like it's been an hour. Yesterday. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do have a friend who lost her only son to a brain tumor and we walk once a week and she's been amazing. But she tells me I'm amazing for her because 
the self-care that I do motivates her to do it as well. But, you know, finding that that person to, to share and that really understands it, you yeah. know, even more her than my husband at times, right? Because he's living through it with me. But with her, it's like we can scream, we can yeah. jump up and down, we can do whatever and we're we get it. We're both there for each other. So that's another huge help is to have that. And it just to walk and just walk. Sometimes we don't say anything. We just walk together, you know, just to have that person. I, I And I love that. It's, it's really someone that you can be real with. Absolutely. Like you can be real. And yeah. interestingly with our own spouse and loved ones, sometimes you feel like you can't be real. Yeah. Um, you don't want to, because you want to protect them. Yes, because you're feeling like "Hmm, he might be having kind of a good day. And if I totally break down and have and like this, then it's going to turn his good day into a bad day. So I really don't want to do that. So (laughs) if you can have someone that you can trust that you can just be real with. Yeah, that's and it's true. It is. It's a gift. And my youngest, he's really he's away at college and he I was really worried about him. I actually wanted him to take a semester off and nope, he didn't want to. And uh, he's going for three degrees, uh, uh, major and two minors. And he got into writing music about his sister. And he just turned 21 and he raps, Mm -hmm. you know, not my favorite type of music, but that's what he likes to do. And he actually performed twice this summer locally and his whole, he just released like an album and 90% of it is about his sister and his journey. The album cover is him in the dark and an angel, my daughter grabbing his hand and pulling him up into the light. Oh, that's beautiful. So, so him and I, are very open and we talk through it more so than my oldest son and my husband, but he has absolutely 100% amazed me at how he took this grief and turned it into this. And he actually just called me the other day and said, mom, I wanted to tell you, I had to do a presentation and I did it on page. And I talked about what happened to her. I'm like, you did in front of a class. I go, wow. What did your professor say? He goes, mom, he pulled me aside at the end and said, your strength is something that you just taught me as your professor. And he got an A plus on it. But he said, for you to stand up and be able to do that at 21 is remarkable, remarkable. So I'm so proud of how he's handling it. You know, kids that age could turn to drugs, alcohol, and he is just on that track to write. Well, and it just shows there are so many different ways to grieve. Yes. And there's yeah. not one right way to grieve. Yeah. Okay, nobody would have said, okay, you know what a healthy grieving process for you would be? Write rap music about your sister. Yeah. Nobody would have given him that as an assignment. Right? right? That's no. really thinking outside the box. Yeah. But it was a it beautiful, came. amazing way for him to grieve and to process mm-hmm. his feelings and to be able to let them out. And what a gift to you to know that he's one that you can be open with. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He is. He is. He's my, in a way, he's my hero because I look at him at 21 and think how, where is the strength coming from? Mm-hmm. Because, you know. At, I, I just think of when I was 21. And you would ask him and he's not he's not going to say he's strong. No, he? He, he doesn't. I say it to no. him all the time. I'm like, honey, I can't believe. He's like, mom, no, I'm not. I just, it makes me feel better. And I like to, to write about her. She's yeah. my, she was my world, you know, my sister. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I'm beyond uh, impressed. I mean, both my boys, my oldest is a is a junior hockey coach and he's out in San Diego coaching. And, you know, I worry about him cause he's out there alone, but he's doing wonderful and he's okay. He just is more internal like my husband and, you know, you know, but I do check on him and make sure, and he handles it just totally different than my son and I, my youngest. Like I like to do things in her honor. Like I said, we had this fundraiser, but me personally, I've done a light up the night 
this year I did rock painting with a group of friends and I'm taking those rocks with me when I travel and leaving a little bit of page wherever I should go in life. I have, I do a 5k in her honor on her birthday. So I've done scholarships two years now. Actually, my oldest had wanted the first year I did it myself. They didn't want my boys. My husband was like, no, it's too soon. The second year, my oldest said, I want to, I want to go with you. Cause it was his high school as well. And he gave the speech and he looked at me afterwards and he said, you know, mom, that was great. He said, but we're giving scholarships to kids that already have a list of scholarships. Yeah. Next year, I want to give it a scholarship to someone, maybe special needs, struggling a little bit, but wants to go on to like a two-year college. I want to help that kid. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do next year. And I said, you know what, Tyler, I never even thought of that. And you're right. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's give a scholarship to somebody that normally wouldn't get a scholarship. Yeah. So that's what we're going to work towards for next year's scholarship. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that came from him. That came yeah. from from my son. Yeah. So you've talked a lot about self-care. I, I want to go back in time a little bit to how mm-hmm. that kind of started, because obviously, you know, your daughter died. I'm sure you were completely devastated. It's COVID. Mm-hmm. Were you even able to have a good, mm-hmm. nice memorial service or not even, you know? Yeah, we, we were because it was the rules were just getting lifted. Okay. Last the end of last summer. So we did have a service for her. It actually started, Marcy, when she got sick because yeah. I couldn't spend the nights with her because of COVID. Okay. They were adamant in me going home at night and getting rest and coming back in the morning. So they let me in there from like 10 in the morning till 10 at night. And just my family, anybody else in the ICU, no, they had their you know, two or three hour window. But for us, I think it's because she was so young. Yeah, for sure. We got to the top dog at the hospital and they lifted all of that. Right. Because um, because for adults, they usually didn't let people no, in much at all. No, With like kids, four to eight. They let or one parent stay all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in our hospital, that's what it was. But you, right. you know she was really in the middle. I mean, she really was. Yeah, she was. So you know, they were, you know, and if she was struggling at night, of course, I stayed until she was, you know, like in a restful stage, they would let me do that. But they were pretty like, you know, you need to go home, you need to try to rest, you need to shower, you need to come back in the morning, let us you know, we have your number. And so I never argued with it, because I knew that they were going above and beyond with the COVID rules anyways. Right. right. So I would get up, I would call the hospital every morning at like six, before the nurses changed so I could talk to the night nurse. And then I would go for either a walk or a run and just deep breathe for, I don't know, half hour. And then I would head up to the hospital every day. Um, So then when she passed, that turned into more, like started to do yoga, started to learn to meditate, started to run more and walk more. And uh, now I'm, I run up to five miles at a time. So uh, I don't see it ever going away. I can't imagine not. And I we have hard winters here in Buffalo too. So people are yeah, probably wondering, <laughs> well, how do you run in the winter? Well, I belong to a gym and I do a lot of like Pilates or whatever I can, can do in those hard winter months. But I do exercise every single day. I can't not. I'm not to that point yet where I can say today's a day you can skip and just do nothing. It just doesn't work for me. I have to move in order to get through my days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that so. just brings you a little, little bit of comfort or I would say not you? so much comfort Marcy, yeah. as it is a sense of calm. Okay. An internal sense of calm and in, inside of me. Okay. Calm enough to do my job, take care of what I need to take care of, whatever. It doesn't give me hope, but it yeah. gives me calm. It gives me a, a, a sense of calming, re, you know, to where like, I don't know, I can just take that breath and feel calm inside and feel almost an inner strength that calmness gives me. Yeah. So would you say it's a time that you 
take like a break from your grief or is it a time that you process your grief? I process it. Okay. That's what I guessed. Yeah. And thanks to you, a lot of it is your, your webcast actually that I listen to, uh, as I'm exercising. Um, it's, it, listening to other families and what they've gone through, you know, is just, it's helpful. And listening to that puts me in the zone and, you know, I'm work, I'm walking or running and I'm like, yes, you know, like I'm talking to you both, whoever you're interviewing, like, (laughs) yes, that's how I feel too. But so, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a work through process, but not anything that I feel like it's work. I feel like it's a part of my daily life now. Okay. It's not, it's not a job. It's not like a task. It's a part of, of me now. Yeah. And the more I do, the more signs I get. Okay. So, so the more you get outside, the more signs you will see. I promise you, you will see. Yeah. Talk Mm -hmm. about some of those little moments for us, your little Godwink moments. The one that stands out the most to me was her angel birthday last year, not this past July, the July before she would have been 24. She'd be 25. Now we had, I had done a 5k run in the morning and then I walked it at night. And when we walk it at night, we gather around in a circle and we do balloons or we pray or whatever. And we talk and when we, the first year I was talking about HLH to my group and said, you know, I went down to Roswell today, I brought food and I was talking with one of the nurses that really took care of Paige. I mean, these nurses were unbelievable. They would braid her hair, paint her nails, you know, just whatever. They were just amazing. She had said that there was a young man who came through about Paige's age and lost his battle to HLH. And have I heard anything on, you know, through my uh, work in the research? And I said, yes, actually, St. Jude's now has uh, committed to research for HLH, which is huge. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah. Uh Anywho, we were talking and we let off balloons and somebody had videotaped it. And they sent me the video. They were like, oh, Lynn, look, I saved this for you. Take a look. And I said, oh, my gosh, look at that light. It was an orb bouncing. And as the balloons went, the orb went right with the balloons. And it was and no and she didn't even notice it till I had said to her. And since that time, I swear, 90 percent of pictures that I have taken of me or my family, there's an orb. There is a light, a small bouncing little light. Actually, my hairdresser had just did my hair a few weeks ago and she sent me a picture. There was little tiny, it looked like tiny little angel wings on the back of my head in purple, (laughs) which is my daughter's favorite color. So, you know, just little signs on her angel anniversary this year. I was waiting for everyone to come to do the rock painting and I was sitting and reflecting and looking out my front window and there was a cardinal that was singing and came right to the windowsill next to me and was singing. That's happened to me twice, once in her bedroom window and once now uh, in my front room window. One time I was walking in my neighborhood and there were feathers through my whole walk, just laid down feathers. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, was a bird hit? Something hit? No. Yeah. It was just feathers everywhere. You know, a hearts. I see hearts on my windshield sometimes. If frost will be form of a heart. I've seen hearts in my landscaping. I find hearts on my walks or my runs. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. It's very rewarding to know that she's here with me each and every day. And that seems to give you a little sense of peace, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It sure does. It absolutely does. I can just hear you you talk about it and I hear that in your voice. Yeah, it really does. And I, and then I talk to her when I find a sign, you know, thank you so much. You know, mommy needed that sign today. I know you're with us and I love you and don't stop sending us those signs because I know you're watching over us and keeping us safe. Because now I'm sure as with, with all of us bereaved parents, the fear of something happening in my family is overwhelming. Yes. Um, you know, I'm so scared that 
one of my boys, they both had COVID. I followed them down to the hospital. I'm crying on the phone with the doctors, explaining HLH, making sure they know what it is. Can they, you know, see if they have some sort of a virus going on? And thankfully, no, they were, they're fine. And we, we were, my daughter was tested. It's not genetic in nature, but you can't help it. Anytime my kids sneeze, get in the car, do anything. I'm like, oh, you know, it's just that fear, that fear that something else terrible yeah. and tragic can happen. I so, find that overwhelming too. I have a lot it of is. fear. And I've talked to different moms because different moms are different about that. Because for me, I, you know, Andy's death ended up bringing out the fear in me, making it more so. And then I've talked to moms mm-hmm. the other way who had, I, I think, whose kids had had very long, long illnesses, who lived in fear for maybe years as their child was going through cancer treatment or whatever, that that fear. And they said that was that was a one thing that when their child died, then the fear kind of died with it. And they're, they were less fearful because they were living with fear every day. I think for you and me, um, mine was obviously super sudden, but yours was yeah. too in a way, right? Because you, you would, this was all in two months. That's a very short, yeah. short yeah. time frame to go from having a healthy daughter who, you know, teaches exercise classes mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to having her gone. And that, that does then bring up that fear of when you've seen yeah. it happen once. That means it yeah. can happen again. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like it's an irrational fear in your own mind. Like that's a totally rational fear in your mind. Like mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. probably think you're being crazy. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, I think a lot of them think like, how could she not be afraid? Yeah. She's gone through so much. You know, we had prayer chains outside the hospital. And so there were a lot of close people in our community. My husband's a well-known hockey coach. So a lot of, a lot of prayer chains, a lot of prayer groups, a lot of hope. I was very strict with the doctors when they would come in. I'm like, please start with hope instead of all this despair. I need to hear hope first. And then you can tell me all the bad stuff that's going on. You know, what is my hope for today? Do we have even a smidgen of hope. So I think a lot of the community seen what we went through and they get it, especially my close friends. They know my fear and they understand it because of what we went through. To your point, yes, Mm -hmm. it was sudden. She was very healthy, vibrant, but it was 55 days. And trust me, at the end, I was praying to God because I didn't want to see my child suffer any longer. It was, it was bad you know, so whatever I can do to bring HLH awareness so that other families don't go through what we went through. I pray so hard for some sort of cure. They say that if they catch it quick enough, it can be turned around. And and that's what I, I need the medical community to think about HLH or to think is could this child have it? Should we run some sort of testing? Do we need to talk to some oncologists and figure this out? faster mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. until it's too late. And yeah, which I would think would be at that sign of, you know, having some a kid come in with a viral infection or an mm-hmm. adult, but more often kids come mm-hmm. in with a viral infection and and have a good deal of jaundice and, uh, you know, that, I mean, her liver that. tests were very bad. And and yeah. to to send you home without any sort of scheduled follow up to kind of follow yeah. that along was probably in error in the hindsight. But I, yeah, I, I and I wonder I if it would have been like that had it not been the beginning of COVID like it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we spent the night in the hospital because they wanted doctors like they wanted her liver checked the next day before they sent her home. And I was on the phone with her doctor every day. But you know, it just seemed to, I mean, and she, in the beginning, the first, she was home for six days. I'd say the first three, she would come downstairs on her own. She'd try to eat with us. She okay. tried to be around us. And then after those like couple days, it just started getting worse to where I said, no, she's got to go back in. Something's not right. You know, well, but, um, so I, I, your mom instinct, mm-hmm. I guess, but I, um, 
I don't fault anyone for it. They all tried to do what they could, you know, they just weren't aware of it. There's not enough awareness. However, the emergency room where she first went, where my girlfriend works, she, my girlfriend told me, you know, we are now educated in it and we now look for it. And I said, well, I think that that news needs to spread, not just to your hospital, because that's where Paige was, but like to all the hospitals throughout the whole country, you know, and that's what Liam's Lighthouse, which is a foundation for HLH that a mom who lost her uh, baby to HLH created. Okay. Yep. Every year they go to New York City and they do a 5k Uh and they try to get on the Today Show to spread the word and bring awareness in whatever way they can. And, And really, that foundation is what got St. Jude on board to start researching. Wow. So they do a lot. Yeah, it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. They do a lot. So that's where all of our fundraising money went to was that foundation to help them, mm-hmm. you know, work with those doctors to bring a cure. So you've done the one fundraising thing with uh, yeah. Paige's friend's birthday, right? Yeah. Yes, uh, do you have yes. other plans in the future or what mm, she does? Yeah. I asked her to, I asked her to hold off a little bit. It was really difficult for my yeah. family oh my gosh, yeah. to, to go and be around, you know, 300 people. And it was just overwhelming for us. And, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful, but it's hard. It's really hard to, hard. to do that. Oh yes. I, I don't know how we got through it, my whole family, but, um, so she was thinking about every other year and I asked her if we could maybe in a fifth year, like a celebration five, you know, five years of research and where it's come from where we started with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't could always I do some something quiet, some online thing just to honor her, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. we do, we do do a high school scholarship and we do, I do an HLH walk in her honor on yeah. her birthday and all that money goes to Liam's lighthouse. Um, so yes, I will never stop doing a 5k in her name. I'll never, you know, I'll always look for other ways to spread the word really to get HLH to the forefront. And I do love that this big event, you didn't actually have to do it because you want things done, but it's so incredibly difficult to do it. I mean, it's hard yep. to even show up, let alone. Well, and do I some did. Yeah, I did. I helped her, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you did. And it's, and they think that that's great, but sometimes you just need someone to just do it for you, right? It's yes. like, this is just too difficult. And yeah. And you'd probably be more okay with her doing it every other year if, if you didn't feel like you needed to play a huge role in it right? Be involved. Absolutely. But if you have to involve, you know, plan, help plan and help do all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they may think all the that meetings. that's helpful to you, but it can be just so overwhelming. Yeah. And actually afterwards, uh, they put together a, um, uh, I don't want to say party, but they put together like, um, uh, giving the check to Liam's lighthouse. Somebody actually drove in that we got to meet who lost her son as well. And she's on the committee. Uh, She lives in Pennsylvania and she got up and spoke to all of us. And that, that was wonderful, wonderful. But again, it's, you know, me getting there, having these conversations, finding the strength within to talk about my daughter and to hear about another child that lost their life to it. So, um, where I appreciated it was even on the news that they did that. And I'm forever grateful that, you know, her friends want to do something in her yeah. honor. It was probably the hardest thing that I've done since I lost her. Uh-huh. You know, we'll see when I'm strong enough. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing page with us. I loved learning. Oh, thank more about you, Marcy. Her. I love learning about HLH. I love that you are trying to spread that message because that, is, you know, can help a lot of people. I hope so, Marcy. Thank you so much. And I will continue to listen and spread your uh, podcast to those angel moms here in my Buffalo community too. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, 
please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.